Uh, well, welcome to Banter Book Club. This will be the first, actually second recording, but maybe the first airing of uh, our first podcast about our book club. The first series that we decided to talk about was uh, one of our favorites. Uh, first of all, my name's Taylor. And I'm John. We both read um, the first two books of The Kingkiller Chronicle by Patrick Rothfuss. I've read the first book two times now, and I'm going over it again a third time for the purposes of this podcast in a little more detail. Um, so that's my experience with this series. What about you? I uh, have read it, both books, probably uh, five times or Damn. so, and I have consumed much uh, content, as it were, surrounding the book, uh, whether on book two Is or Is there like a, a Kingkiller Chronicles subreddit that you're part of? I don't actually use Reddit, but oh, I've just seen like lore and theory videos and things like that. that okay, I, videos. Yeah. Yeah, YouTubers. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't use Reddit for that purpose either. But uh, we might as well explain a little bit about what's going on. The book, the first in the series, is called "The Name of the Wind," written by Patrick Rothfuss, who is technically a Twitch streamer. Uh, but I don't think that I can recommend his content. No offense, but he writes a damn fine book, and. Uh, yeah, this is the first book of the series. It's a New York Times bestseller. One of the topped the New York Times bestseller list, and it also won the uh, uh, Quill Award. Whatever that means, you can Google it. I mean, I'm sure it's a very prestigious award. Uh, you know. Of course, if it's written on the cover of his book. I mean, they obviously thought it important enough to put on the cover, so it must be important. Yes. Also on the cover, the fact that it's a novel. That Some people might find that interesting. Important. I mean, it's rectangular, and when you know it's not open, it might look like a, a movie case. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, we might as well start. Um, for somebody who hasn't read these books, the reason that uh, I I like this series is more than just the plot or what happens or even the characters that are in it, but the way that the story is written. I don't know much about Patrick Rothfuss, but I like the way that he writes. It seems very poetic at times, but not consistently. It's not annoying in that way, but it's almost musical. It has, seems to have like a, a rhythm to his writing. What do you think? Uh, I think that for me, this is, and I'm going to use an analogy here, it's sort of like a board game that is touted as easy to learn but deep strategy. So it's easy to get into. It's not like overly difficult in the writing. And yeah, like rereadability. Yeah, re oh yeah. Things that are games are good if they have replayability. This book has definitely has a very high rereadability. Yes, and the you know the deeper you get into it, the further down the rabbit hole you can go. Yeah, and you it's realize that never ending. I mean, every until there's little, a third book. <laughs> yeah, every little. Uh, sentence that might seem innocent when you look back at it had a lot of meaning and you just it just wasn't emphasized in the moment yeah I don't know how many times I've said it in the last uh, 20 minutes but I'm going to say it a lot more uh, Rothfuss does most things intentionally mm. so even 
like Taylor says, small sentences that don't seem significant can actually be found to have some gravity. So yeah, the the process that we're going to go through is just kind of talking over the first book. We're not sure how many episodes this first one will take, but I think we, just to inform you, John, I think uh, we will do kind of like an episode zero and have a more convincing explanation of, or maybe a more telling reason why somebody might want to read the book. Just a tiny, like a little 10 minute thing, I guess. More of an more of a, an explanation about the book for someone who's a prospective reader of it as opposed to this, which is uh, going to be filled with spoilers, so uh, stop listening now if you are. Well, come back once you've read the book. Read the book then, then come back and join us. Yeah, we're going to be uh, we'll wait. talking shit and theories and um, probably yelling at each other at some point. Yeah, probably eventually. So let's uh, give it a go. The first, uh, the first start, the prologue, The Silence of Three Parts. And uh, yes. it's this is uh, a beloved section of this book. Uh, this is a lot of, and it might be my thing for episode zero. The reason why someone would want to read this book. It is See, I think, and maybe you're going to start yelling at me right now. I think that this is the part that would most confuse and turn off prospective readers. Like, you, you, you open this book and you read this thing and it's just so random and weird. Like, I, when I've recommended this to people, including my wife, I said, don't worry about that page for now. Like, read it if you want to or just skip it. it, it come back to it. <sighs> so, because, I love I it. I love it because it does such a good job of setting the tone and, and explaining the environment. Like, setting the stage. Oh, I agree. I love it, but... <laughs> Oh, I see. For people who aren't into fantasy, especially, it might seem a little bit pretentious. It's it's, it's just well, I, I wouldn't even use. How could you have a silence of three parts? There's only one. There's only I silence just, is only one thing. It's kind of like you said. It, you know, it, it, it's almost like poetry, and a lot of people are turned off by poetry. Don't like poetry. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. So Rothfuss makes fun of poetry plenty in this book. Yeah. <laughs> he was at one point apparently in his career a poet, so it's not even like he hasn't done it anyway I digress. but i mean the the contents of uh the silence of three parts it's just a sen- it's introducing us to where we are in the world which is Nuar, the town of Nuar, more specifically at the inn in Nuar, called the waystone and the owner of the waystone's name is coat for now anyways yeah and I mean- uh the the silence uh, it's like a, a literal silence out on the road. There's no wind. Inside, there are patrons, and they're talking, but they're not talking about anything serious. Uh, that's the second silence. They're just pleasantries. They're keeping it light. They don't want to talk about the real stuff that's going on because there is some there's some stuff they don't really want to talk about. And then the third silence is of the innkeeper, someone who knows many things. It does end with a pretty ominous uh, thing. His silence is the sound of a man waiting to die. So, you know, it's definitely very intriguing. Like, why is he waiting to die? Oh, yeah. I guess we'll get back to uh, what we think about a man waiting to die. Yeah. I mean, I think we can uh, talk about what is uh, all set up here and why why it's intriguing, though. So the Waystone Inn, again, Waystones are going to become important later. Uh, 
coat, the, the man's name, is also an interesting little topic. A lot of good yeah, stuff. Yeah, what does that mean? You knew it was like destruction or something? Uh, it was it, like, uh, I don't know. Disaster. The, disaster. Disaster in a certain language. It means disaster language. in, in a, uh, one of the languages of the world. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which he learns later in the book. Yep. You find out where he picked up that name. It actually took me like, I think two or three reads to to put that together. Yeah, because it's, like we said, it's just said one time and there's no emphasis on it. Yeah. But yeah, that would be it for uh, Silence of Three Parts, and then the the beginning of the book is actually uh, revolving, or it it starts out as a story being told by one of the main present characters, Cobb. Yeah, he's and, sort of uh, the, uh, the resident belligerent old man who also tells the stories, and is the one, he's sort of the alpha, uh, alpha of the group. Everyone sort of lets him do his thing and have his say. Uh, yeah, King Village, King Village idiot. Although that's a little, <laughs> that's more insulting than he kind of is. He does have some. He is respected in in the uh, in the town. Yeah, as much as uh, ignorant small towners can be uh, respected about the ways of the actual world, right? Right. He speaks in a way that would make you believe that he knows things for sure when he doesn't. But yeah, he start he starts by telling the story of one of the stories of Taberlin the Great who's stuck in a prison with no windows and no no doors. He's just surrounded by stone. He speaks the name of stone. Everyone who's listening should have read the book, so this is not news to them. People have a magic known as naming. And he uses, he knows the name of stone. And he just tells it to shatter, and he just walks out. Yeah, and he drops down out of the hole in this high tower but he also knows the name of the wind so he is carried to the ground gently and i think uh Tavlin is said to have known the names of all things and so all things were his to command um yeah. which sort of sets up the the magic system at least the naming part of it the naming part well yeah in this it, world it is there the are... true it is the true magic because there yeah. is there is a uh, there are many I, magics I call it a sciencey magic at least uh, sympathy it's sympathy, not a yeah. magic there, but I mean as far compared to the real world there are many magics many of the, the the one magic in this series that is the most magical to them is naming the fewest yes. there are the fewest number of people in the world that can actually that actually know the name of things Yes, and the others are yeah that more sciencey magic things that aren't capable that aren't possible in real life, but in this world are are much more numerous. But anyways, we're over explaining. These people know this. Yeah. The story gets interrupted by Carter, one of the farmers. He shows up, and everybody's like, "Ah, oh, Carter! Well, oh, what's going on?" So they notice something's up, and he's got a scrayling. Carries in the corpse of a scrayling. Which uh, we're not quite sure what it is at first. Uh, it's sort of introduced as a demon. Uh, yeah. They don't know what it is. They describe it as like a giant spider with no eyes. And, and razors for legs. And then I guess Coat corrects them to be like, oh yeah. They say knives, he says razors. More like razors. It's, it seems to be a constant battle for Coat to uh, not reveal the fact that he knows lots of things yeah he usually does a good job of playing ignorant the ignorant newcomer innkeeper but every once in a while uh, he gets caught up in the drama of the moment yes 
and kind of lets some things out. He does it later. We'll talk about it then. Coat kind of explains the little bit that he knows. He's seen these before. They're called Skraylings. And he, he shares some knowledge. He, he It's obvious to the reader that he really does know about these things. What does he say? He was like, he His wasn't first, expecting... Uh, words were, when he saw it was, they can't have gotten this far. Right. So he knew... He's been expecting them to show up and eventually, but not this soon. So he knows where they came from and how long it should have taken them to get here. Yeah. And, I mean, it's said by now, or very shortly after that, he's been in this town for a year, right? So if he's been waiting around expecting these things to come, I wonder how much time he thought he had if it's been a year and now they're just showing up. It's, yeah, it's and if you, an interesting concept. If you, if you knew they were coming, but may, even if you thought it was going to take longer than a year... If these things were that dangerous, why would you ever put down roots at all? I mean, maybe he thought that he could hide from them, or maybe, like... Obviously, we, we know literally nothing about these things, aside from the fact that where there's one, there's a lot more, and they just kill. Like, they don't have mouths or, or eyes, right? They don't eat mm -hmm. anything. They just literally jump on things, slice them up until they die, and then keep moving. So, and I guess that there may be a fey creature of some type, we learned. Yeah, something but, controlling them, or that's what these these things are fey of some yeah, kind. Yeah, that's literally all we know about the Skrull. Yeah, even, yeah. I'm pretty sure, even after the second book, that's all we know. So oh, okay. It's, but I, yeah, I meant to say... There's much information on them. I meant to bring that up as part of the a man waiting to die. Maybe he, he knows where they were coming from, he knows how long, or he thought he knew how long it would take them to get here. Maybe he was like, at some point, some terrible thing happened, and he left and got to a point where he might have, maybe it was two years or three years, or he thought he would have before he would die, yeah. quote-unquote. Like, his, his end would be met at some point in the future. Maybe he didn't think it would be only a year after whatever happened. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely one possible uh, explanation for a man waiting to die. There are many. That is one very possible one. Uh, but right after that, we're introduced to w one of the other more main characters, Bast, after uh, Coat uh, shuffles them away, tells them how to deal with the, the body. Actually, no, he doesn't tell them how. He Take tells to them the to bring it to the priest, yes, yeah. and, they, and the priest... He, quote, Coat says, the priest did all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Which so there's, I, I love that. <laughs> the, he, uh, the fact that he doesn't really get along with the church, or that uh, people can ignorantly do the right thing. That the, the proper information has, you know... Uh, disseminated. Way, yeah, disseminated into multiple uh, places of, of use, and the reasons might have changed, but what to do is still the same right like all the all the stories about the chandrian they're yep. all childhood rhymes and little songs but they actually do contain actual information about the chandrian yep here and there Which, a gem nuggets of truth and everything um man i'm gonna have to add out i wonder how how many uh, take a guess, how many ums am I going to have to edit out of this show? I mean, I wouldn't, uh, um, 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 <laughs> um, I wouldn't edit all of them out. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having, with saying um occasionally. Right. I mean, like, mine sound bad to me. 
I, I mean. But anyways, Vast yeah. is waiting in Coates' room after after he shuffles them away with the the Skraling, sends him to the priest, and uh, Bast almost immediately knows something's up. They have a bit of a relationship like um, a teacher and a student, but it's not exactly like that. There is, uh, we find out some things about Bast. He has a delicate movement, almost like he's dancing. He's very. I, mean, uh, I think we can just say it. He's, he's a fey creature. He's right? a fey, like, yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't get revealed until a little bit later, but he is one of the fey, and so he has extra information about the Skrail that I think, and he sort of makes sure that, <laughs> makes sure again that Quoth, who is Coat, didn't let them take any them, souvenirs. Didn't let them take any souvenirs and, and made sure it was destroyed properly, so it makes it seem like if the corpse of one of these things is around, it's going to draw the rest of them. Which, in fact, is exactly what happens, because mm-hmm. we'll see that later. But yeah, right before right before that part that you're alluding to, we get introduced yeah. to the Chronicler. Uh, yep. Traveling the roads, uh, which are notoriously bad. Um, yeah, and I mean, he gets he gets uh, waylaid by these mercenaries or, or possibly the most, deserter soldiers. It's a very... The most polite <laughs> mugging he's ever experienced, I think, yeah, is... He's, is he's close to what he said. <laughs> yeah, and it basically just establishes that he is a clever character. Um, he's he's no slouch. He may be getting mugged because he's outmanned, but he, he yeah he hides, hides some of money, his money and... in very clever places yeah. and knows exactly how much to uh, leave out so that they know that they don't look for more and things like that. But he's afterward he's on his way. He might he's going to end up being a little behind because they take his horse and stuff, and it sort of just. Uh, it sort of impresses upon us the the wars are not going well because the soldiers are sort of requisitioning things from any traveler, or mm-hmm. there's deserters posing and doing that, or bandits. Yeah, I doing think that. in in the beginning, in these first few chapters, we get introduced to the idea of bleedings, and that's like the tax. Oh, yeah, there the are taxes, multiple taxes, yeah. and that and the regular and people call like, them bleedings. It seems like the taxes, you know, aren't that. Uh, Maybe they have like one collection of taxes a year, uh, but because of this war, they're on their third already. Yeah. So the war is apparently not going well. Um, it is tough times in general, and it they will be even tougher with the third bleeding. And we get yes. introduced that we uh, learn about some other characters that are maybe not crazy, but. Uh, what was the guy's name? The guy who lives uh, like building a well in his house or something? Crazy Martin. Yeah. Oh, okay, it is crazy. He calls him Crazy Martin. Cra- crazy Martin is building a well in his house. He's growing like, barley instead of beans. Every yeah, everyone knows. Everybody and their mother is war. Yeah, because they sell and prices will be high. Yeah. So apparently, this Martin guy, he's either way ahead of the curve or he's just crazy. cracked. Yeah. I I did also get the sense that Chronicler was like loaded. Did you get that that sense at all? Like he uh, he yeah, has I mean, money. He has very he has very expensive uh, inks and and pens and things. You know, to uh-huh. be a, a scribe is not cheap. So he's definitely comes from a place of money. Um, where exactly? You know, I think it says he's the nephew of a of, of a, a duke. Yeah, a duke. So yeah, his family is definitely well off, and he also is. Was it well-off. nephew or son? Uh, I thought it was nephew, but it might be son. Either way, we'll get I mean, there. Even if he's the nephew of a duke, his uh, his still loaded. Yeah, his family is 
is loaded one way or another. But yeah, we also learn he he is not uh, an awful guy either. While he's he gets mugged, but he also makes sure that they know that one of the things that he has it was like some type of like straight alcohol that he uses to clean his pens. Yeah, what alcohol? And he, he makes yeah what and he makes sure that they don't drink it because they'll die or it won't go well. I think is what he says. Yeah. But anyways, enough of the introduction to the chronicler. It goes back to the Waystone Inn, and Graham arrives, one of the uh, local woodworkers. Uh, he's brought a mounting board that says Folly on it. Uh, he's been working on it for months now, four months, I think. The first thing that Graham notices when he comes in with it is that coat seems dull. Like, before months before, when uh, Coat theoretically commissioned this work, he looked a little bit more vibrant. And uh, Graham notices that he's just colorless. He's just duller, somehow. That's a that's a theme quite often. When uh, when he gets uh, poisoned with the the plum bob, is that book one or book two? That is book two. Okay, never mind. I didn't say that. But color is important, specifically with with Quoth. When he's lively, he's very colorful. Yes. So yeah, he's got the feature wise specifically. He has. I don't think we said it, but you know, he's got. The red hair and the and the green eyes, so he's very uh, he typically has a lot of color about him in that way. So then, yeah, shortly after that, the town kind of comes alive. Like there's a a bustle in the city. I guess there are people passing through. A tinker arrives. Those tinkers are a big part of the the story in general. Yes. Do you remember revered. how they were described? Uh, they are revered folk, and there is wisdom uh, surrounding any interaction with them a tinker always pays for kindness three times uh, oh let's read it out that was a good one that's uh, chapter three i think okay i don't i don't have my book on me i this do time. i, I do. can google it if i need to so they fumble at the um the little saying about the tinkers just like we just did <laughs> and then coat <laughs> yeah. coat comes in with the the real saying uh, a tinker's debt is always paid once for any simple trade, twice for freely given aid, thrice for any insult made. So just um, be nice to them, or and they'll be nice to you, and if you don't, then uh, you're going to regret it. Pretty much, yeah. And Ben is a tinker, right? Uh, he's an arcanist, which... Doesn't some... he travel around with a sign that talks about... Or maybe I'm thinking about this guy, well, this tinker that shows yeah, up. Yeah, he... I think... I would say all, well, most Arcanists might be Tinkers, but not all Tinkers are Arcanists. Not all Tinkers are Arcanists. Yes, no, right. Yeah, they no, talk. All Tinkers are not Arcanists. All Tinkers. An Arcanist yeah, is someone I, who has, maybe who I has didn't, graduated maybe didn't from the Arcanum in the university, right? Maybe it didn't transmit. Yeah, I said not all Tinkers are Arcanists. Oh, I just yeah. heard all Tinkers are Arcanists. <laughs> that, I'm sure. That would. Yeah, here we go. Example one yelling. You just misheard me. <laughs> was Jeez. I yelling? I don't think that was yelling. I think for the purposes of entertainment, that was yelling. Look, I, I'm not yelling. <laughs> All right, I am. <laughs> but the uh, the thing that se- <laughs> the thing that separates a, a tinker from an arcanist, or a, what what you can really identify, how you can really identify an arcanist, is by um, what's the thing called around their neck? Do you a remember? Giller. A gill. Giller. Or a, or giller. It, it's one of those. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's one of them. Oh man, how many people 
are, that have read these books over and over are already, have, are already yelled. Yeah, out, so like, we've only why, yelled why at each other still, once. Why are we still <laughs> listening to these people that clearly don't know anything? I know way more than these guys. Yeah. All right, why fine. I, stop why listening. Did I, I why care. did I tune into this? I don't understand. I don't care. Please don't leave. Yeah. <laughs> Tinker arrives with all the all the other people. There's uh, a bustle in the Waystone Inn, and uh, there's a bit of happy times going on. And that's when we get introduced to the first mention of the Chandrian, the rhyme of the Chandrian. I yes. guess maybe I can actually find it since I was just there. Yeah. Uh, as the Tinker goes around town, some kids uh, sort of gather and start chanting the rhyme. When his eyes are black as crow, where to go, where to go, near and far, here they are. See a man without a face, move like ghosts from place to place. What's their plan, what's their plan, Chandrian, Chandrian? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, I think some of the most important concepts there are the man without a face bit, uh, obviously referencing Haliax. Um, also, probably also the same person as in Canis. The Telu version is in Canis, whereas the other uh, Lanre. Yes, we have, is also probably Lanre. Almost certainly Lanre. Uh, yes. Given based on the story of Selatos from Scarpy. And the the attack by the like the the attack on the troop by the Chandrian. Yes. Uh, but anyways, we'll get there. Yeah. Also, so yeah, the man without a face, big uh, eyes black as night, or black who as is coal, Cinder, I believe. Cinder, yeah. And then, uh, then the other part is that is move pressing. like ghosts. Move like ghosts, but what's their plan? What's their plan, right? Because oh. it's always said that they strike like lightning out of a clear blue sky. So it's not yeah. really known what they even want or are after. Yeah, nobody knows what sets them off. But they know a little bit about how to identify them when they're there. Yes. And the, including... it says the flame turn, when the flame turns blue, uh, what to do, what to do. That's like the biggest sign of Did them. Did I miss that part? I think it's, I think it's spread out throughout the chapter. It might like, be different. Yeah. It, I'm not opening that up again. It's gone. It, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's like, <laughs> it's like it says part of it, and then it describes what's happening, and then it says another part. It's like the children chanting as things are happening with the tinker. Right. So, um... We all know that part. Yeah, we all know. We all know that part. Um, uh, yeah. So during the happiness, one of the people that are in the uh, uh, in the waystone recognize. What did I say? Oh, just the ending of happiness is penis. <laughs> 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 I, it's five on five. Uh, anyway. We are well-read people. Yes. <laughs> so one of the one of the in goers or tavern goers uh, recognizes Quoth. This uh, this man, this innkeeper who is known as Coat by the locals, has recognized Quoth for the man that he is. Says the red hair, says he recognizes, uh, uh, or says he'll never forget his face from hearing his voice uh, in Imre when, when he sang, made him cry. And then he also, uh, he saw where, I think it was something along the lines of where it happened, and how they they still can't mend the stones. Yeah. Like, something happened somewhere, and they can't fix what happened, and this guy thinks that Quoth did it. I can't wait to learn what that was. Pretty sure it was when he... Is that in book two? No. Isn't it when he... Uh, 
when he calls the wind uh, against at Ambrose? Ambrose? Yeah, that's in that square by that fountain. Oh, okay. I guess we'll have to see. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I, I don't remember that that, the. But I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the wind breaking. I don't remember that either, and it would make more sense if he like later on like calls stone or something to break, and then that's why mm -hmm. it won't actually repair. That would make I thought it was, a lot more sense. I thought it was referencing uh, when he killed the king, like the, ki mean, the king killer. Because I thought, anyways, because of the the context of it, like, oh, I heard you sing an Imre, and I saw, I saw, yeah, the maybe, and the stones, right? So I thought that that. I, I thought it was a second like example. Yeah, you thought it was one. I thought it was two. Okay, huh. it makes sense. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Could be either. Or neither. <laughs> oh, no. Because uh, I have it written down here. It says the places in Im the singing and saw the place in Imre where you killed him. Okay, so yeah. Oh, wait. Well, so yeah, him. he didn't kill Ambrose. Well, yeah. that, could be, that could be very uh, taken out of context or... or stretched or broken or, or oh, fair enough. translation yeah. after a couple of years, right? Yes, that's a very common theme. Mistelling of stories. They do it almost immediately. Oh, but that'd be dope if he kills Ambrose later on. Ooh. Would that imply that Ambrose becomes king at some point? I mean, maybe, because there's no other king in Imre, right? Man, talk he, about... He's not a king. He's, he's what? A, I guess he, he has a... His father is at... Is throughout... Eighth, is eighth to the thing, but I think by the 16th. end of the second book, sixteenth. I think by the end of the second book, he's like third. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, so it's definitely Ambrose, right? That'd be great. Oh, what a cool ending to that, like uh, that feud. Anyways, we'll be talking more about Ambrose throughout this book. Yes. He's he not. He's not like a, He's like one of the main antagonists uh, of the series, but he's not a perpetual enemy. He's just kind of looming just, in the background. Yeah, and, and he's always someone that he's just have. He's got like a basically a blood feud with him. Like there's nothing going to settle it. We'll get there. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're a little ahead of ourselves, but. Um. Oh yeah, you didn't want to immediately start speculating about the third book. I mean, we could. I mean. What's no, what? let's get a little further. You're uh, right. Are you sure? It's gonna be uh, called the doors of stone. Why is that? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the four plated what? Anyways. Four plated doors of stone. Um, so yeah, the, he gets recognized as Quoth, and uh, Quoth does an amazing job pretending like he uh, hurts his knee or something. He falls down. It even it even tricks uh, Bast, who comes up and uh, whisks him away, and then yep. they uh, they decide how to uh, drug this man so that the information doesn't get out that Quoth is in Noar. Noar. Yeah. How to get He's in to nowhere. Drink enough to forget, basically. Yeah, but it's not. It's more than. It's not just drinking. They talk about it. They talk about drugging him specifically. Yeah, well, Bast. Yeah, Bast Bast offers offers a dr offers a thing. I don't know what it was. And then Quoth says, "Not that one. Elixir, do this right? one." Like, when? When? Is no, it? you've already been wrong like three times. You want me to make it? I can. <laughs> I mean, feel free. I'm trying to get you to yell at me again. Again, I don't know. That's not really <laughs> me right there. You've already been wrong three times. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yes. Yeah, so they they successfully incapacitate this man, uh, and then the travelers leave. They they just kind yeah. of have like a, a brief reprieve from the sadness and the silence. Yeah, I think that's a a, a good thing to touch on. Uh, it's noted that Co specifically just needs the work he needs. Uh, something to do. If he's not doing something, then uh, 
that's when he starts to become very melancholy and just sort of out of his element. He, it's very clear. Yeah, he doesn't he, need he doesn't need business. He has money. He needs busyness. Yes, exactly. He needs something to do. Without something to do, without a purpose, he is he is basically lost. Which sort of goes back to possibly the man waiting to die. That's part of my theory. Is that Coat is actually a man waiting to die because he's just uh, a man that is basically the mask of Quoth. Um, oh, so you think? So I you think, think Coat is just waiting to die. Especially Coat is waiting to die and, it's and be replaced every time he with. Doesn't, yeah, it's magnified oh, okay. every time he doesn't have something to do. Yeah, when it gets quiet, he, when it gets uh, quiet, when he's polished the bottle so many times that he, that you know, they can't really be polished anymore. It's that's when the the Edge Lord really comes out. Yeah, pretty much. And that's when uh, the Chronicler arrives. He has recovered from his mugging and has made it to Noir. Well, no, 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 no. We're we're skipping the the Scrail part. We alluded to it earlier. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I said he arrives at the way at uh, Wayson Inn, but that's not true. He, after it quiets down, Quoth secretly did the thing that uh, Bass said don't do and took a piece <laughs> of the scrailing. Yes. And he goes out into the middle of the night. We don't see this. This is just uh, the chronicler arrives at Quoth's fire in the middle of the night, and uh, he's looking for a right place to just camp about out. To go down. And yeah, he he notices there's like a pot on the fire. He thinks it's stew, but then it doesn't smell good. It smells like uh, burnt hair and uh, decaying flowers. Uh, coat slash quoth. I want to oh, call him quoth is, in this, this moment. This is absolutely quoth. Quoth yeah. is out of the box here. He's this is about as close to quoth as Chronicler will ever see him. Yeah. So uh, he does his best to uh, prepare chronicler for what is about to happen and Quoth uh, uh, shares his frustration in uh, essentially uh, kind of calling him a noob or a normie or <laughs> yeah, pretty much. what was it a muggle a muggle yep. some sort of, all of those <laughs> some sort of derogatory term yeah, like even though the chronicle is for sure not a muggle we'll get there later but Quoth just always assumes that uh, yeah that people out in this part of the world are for lack of a better word Muggles. Useless, yeah. And he's he maybe he's useless right. is a better word. <laughs> yeah, he's right in this instance. Uh, Chronicler doesn't exactly uh, uh, show up for the fight. Uh, later, Quoth uh, 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 is t- talking to Bast and uh, says that, uh, or Bast asked how how that guy did in the fight, and both says uh, he distracted one for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not uh, not too good. <laughs> Yeah, but they eventually, uh, Chronicler gets knocked out twice, I think, right? Yeah. And, well, yeah, he, he pretty much he falls when the, the first Skrail jumps on him. And then he tries to get up. He, he hits his head at that point, and then he tries to get up later after it's all over. He, like, moves too fast and just blacks out again. And, yeah, and he hits, I think uh, he does hit his head again that on that time, yeah. that point. Yeah. And then Quoth has to take him back. Quoth successfully defends this uh, innocent normie and takes him back to the the, the inn, the Waystone, which sets the stage kind of for uh, for the what the majority of the book is. Yes, the uh, a lot of the book is actually being told by Quoth slash Coat. Yeah, once we uh, get. Uh, 
from Quoth's perspective, and uh, these are the people that will be that will be listening in on the story, which is vast. Obviously, Quoth is telling it, and then the chronicler is writing it down. I wonder why he's called the chronicler. Gee, that's a good question. Maybe they'll reveal it in book three. <laughs> so we uh, <laughs> we get to back to the Waystone Inn. Yeah, the chronicler very, uh, wakes up. Well, there's a very intriguing conversation between. Uh, Bast and Quoth when he comes back because Bast is uh, furious that Quoth has had left him a note. Oh yeah, he leaves him a note. Like, uh, <laughs> if you're reading this, I'm probably dead, right? Like, total edgelord stuff. And <laughs> Didn't say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, but I think my favorite line from it is, don't believe the stories, Bast, they lie to you. Right? So, sort of setting up this idea that stories may have kernels of truth, but they could also be bald-faced lies. Misleading, yeah. yeah. I want to make a reference to book two just because I'm listening to it now. Do it. But the at a, at a point, actually not in the distant future, technically one day after, maybe a day and a half after what's happening right now that we're talking about, uh, Quoth and Bast start a rumor about the Chronicler right in front of the Chronicler. So they're just oh, yeah, they're, they're in proving. the end. They're, they're doing yeah. that to prove the power of uh, of rumors or something, right? Like, I think he does it to put uh, the chronicler in his place. So, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Oh wait, let's we're we're getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> but I mean, yes, that is it's there, there's plenty of of allusions to this idea. The I think Quo says it relatively soon, based on where we are. That you know the best uh, stories or the best lies were the ones he told about himself. So almost immediately after uh, the chronicler recovers, they have a very brief introduction. Both introduces himself as Coat. No, as both. Chronicler well, doesn't chronicler give him doesn't give him a chance. Him, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. I was. I saw what happened last night. And he he seems surprised. He's like, oh, we didn't actually expect. I didn't actually expect to find you. You know, I came. Big keep says he basically came chasing a rumor. Uh, Which who do you think started that rumor? Uh, we find out by the end of this book that it's Bast that sets out the the rumor, because uh, Bast is trying to more or less bait Quoth out of out of hiding. Quoth in in his bones, I think he says at some point throughout in the book, in his to his deepest bones he is a Dimaru, yes. and uh, when uh, Quoth starts telling the story, we'll find out he uh, it's um. It's kind of like uh, the band of the best theater geeks in the world. Super... Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves again. Oh, yeah. I thought you were... Man, how are we going to stop doing that? Uh, I don't think we ever are. But that's all right. <laughs> we, just, we just stop ourselves and then go back and eventually get... So they have, they have a, a small interaction to where Quoth and Chronicler... Actually, Quoth uh, asks Chronicler his name... And the Chronicler says, you can call me the Chronicler. And Quoth's like, no, no, no. I didn't ask what to call you. I asked what your name is. He's uh, he's a man who likes names. He's yes. a, he's a, he's a namey kind. It could be said that uh, names are very important to him. It's uh, In fact, he says it not too much later. And it's also a theme. Names have a very strong place in Quoth's mind and his entire like world view as it were and also in the story it will be shown that the names that Quoth 
calls people or himself or uh, that he he sometimes has to give names to different characters and mm -hmm. these Ari. names are usually uh, either prophetic in some way or very meaningful or hit the mark like nearly perfectly yeah um, so yeah they have that that brief introduction we find out that chronicler is a student of Scarpy to which uh, the chronicler almost immediately says student not so much more like apprentice um, a, a but more like colleague I oh guess. yeah you're right because he close says oh Scarpy's apprentice and he says more like colleague yeah so he's uh, he he doesn't want himself to be thought of as uh, a and let's lesser. jump ahead because <laughs> Scarpy is basically this uh, as we will learn in this book he is a pretty amazing storyteller uh, and he has a very unique way of looking at stories uh, in that the story the story is constantly happening right it's just what your part in it is so when Scarpy eventually tells stories Quoth young Quoth takes them as fact whether that's Bible. Yeah, Bible. Whether that's uh, a mistake on his part or he was doing the right thing is yet to really be found out. But I think the interesting part is that if Chronicler is working with Scarpy, working with Apprentice 2, whatever you want to call it, Scarpy definitely has his own uh, type of quote-unquote magic, if you will, and it has to do with stories. Um, so I think that's an interesting uh, thing. Reminds me of... Um wit from that other book series that we're not yes. going to talk about yes from uh from stormlight archive wit hoid uh as he is uh known throughout the cosmere but anyways people man how cool would it be if people actually got that reference i'm sure like, you guys should will. talk about that series you, you, we can you, do that one next you think that fantasy readers <laughs> there aren't going to be plenty of fantasy readers that have read both <laughs> of these books yeah i mean <laughs> no i'm sure there is oh yeah absolutely is so yeah, they finally they agree. I, I think I want to talk. I do like the the little section where Chronicler basically baits Quoth uh, into telling his story because he's not going to do it at first. He's pretty much against it. He he doesn't want to pay the price of remembering. So yeah. he's definitely here hiding from things, not just the price on his head, which is set up. Uh, you know, at this point, I think it's worth. We uh, didn't know that. We didn't know Quoth had a had a, no, we did. We a did. bounty out for. Yeah, yeah. I thought did. it was. It's set up by now that there's there's rebels in the south. Uh, uh -huh. There's going to be more taxes here. The Skrail are coming, and there's a price on Quoth's head. Chronicler even says it to him. Oh, I'm not here about the price on your head. That's right. I I think I think it was introduced that Quoth had a price on his head by the Chronicler. I think that him saying I'm not here for the price on your head was the uh, Patrick Rothfuss telling us that. There was I don't know. A price I think it might have. When Cobb was telling a close story, it might. Oh, have come okay. Up. So maybe even that but early, you, and I just. But you might it. also be right. I. Yeah. I can't remember specifically. It Either really way, matters, and we should get to the bottom of it. You know what? Uh, let me go get my book, and we can. We'll, we'll both crack it open. First one to find. Pause. It. <laughs> no, not at all. No. <laughs> Magic uh, editing. We're back. Uh, we found <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> Blast through it. Only yeah. we didn't. Oh, I actually wanted to do this here. Okay, so. Chronicler basically says a lot of things like, oh, everyone thinks that you're dead, and... Oh, yeah, so this, actually, that one specifically, that one was one of the nails in the coffin, that one. Yeah. Uh, so, Kvothe uh, says, um, or they're, they're talking about rumors and the story and how wondrous they are, 
and uh, uh, Kvothe says, uh, I am the one that The best lies about created... the ones I told. Yes. Yeah. And then Chronicler's rebuttal to that is they say that you're dead. Yeah. And in the book, it says that uh, Kvothe's smile lessened yeah, he clearly... An unnoticeable amount. Like, that was... He, he he didn't start that rumor. Somebody else started that rumor. Well, he's also... Like he, he's also clearly upset by the idea that he might be forgotten. Okay. Or... And he would much rather be out there somewhere than, than everyone says he's dead, right? Yes. Because... Yeah, he wants... He wants it to be a mystery. Yeah. The thought of his death as a finality is not a very happy ending. But as far as both is concerned. The part that I like the best, and I think is the most intriguing, is that Chronicler, and I think you, you mentioned it earlier, Chronicler says that they say a new Chandrian, a fresh terror in the night, his hair as red as the blood he spills, is out there now. And what yeah, I think sort they're... of says under his breath, uh, the important people know the difference. Yeah, which... I wonder who, who he thinks is important. Well, who does he think is important? And by know the difference... Is he saying he's not a Chandrian, or is he a different kind of Chandrian, or or what? Right? Does he do I mean, things we... that the Chandrian do, but just for a different purpose? Yeah, I mean, like, killing a bunch of people. I wonder what bunch of people he's killing. Well, I mean, yeah. Do you know? I don't no, know. I killing okay. no, no. I, I don't think uh... we're gonna learn that stuff until <laughs> book three. Okay. <laughs> and and I also like. There's sort of like a scheduling conflict, like when they're deciding on the fact that it's going to take him three days, and uh, Chronicler is oh, like, yeah. oh, well, I'll just go to this appointment I have with this Earl, and then I'll come back. And Kvothe says, what makes you think I would still be here when you got back, or that you can walk out of here knowing what you know for that matter? So it sort of sets up this idea that, yeah, I'll tell you my story. Yeah, he's dangerous. But I don't know if you're leaving here. So. But it, once they agree, and it's accepted, there is... A return of color to Quoth's eyes. Yes. I think he and he. It says that he seems to stand a little bit taller, and he has iron in his voice. He's a baller. Which I I love that. That's oh, I want iron in my voice. Yeah. Would steel be better? Um. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. Okay, I want adamantium in my voice. Oh, nice. I want vibranium. Um. Do we know canonically which one is stronger? I I'm I'm sure there are people out here out there that do know, but I do not. Ooh, wait. I want unobtainium. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Unobtainium. <laughs> Is, are you referencing that from that terrible movie, The Core? <laughs> <laughs> the Core? I the think core. that's, uh... No, that's, um... I think that's kind of like an inside joke for engineers. Like, oh. the, it no, would work. there's a really bad movie called The Core, uh, where... It's, I think it's also referenced in Avatar, that other terrible movie. They're they're on that planet whoa, in Avatar whoa, whoa, to get whoa, unobtainium. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Did you just say that Avatar, the James what? Cameron movie, uh-huh. is terrible? Um, it, I'm it was pretty, a pretty good movie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is widely regarded as an awful movie. I think you're I think, thinking. I think you're thinking of the no, no, Avatar: no. Last Airbender live no, no, no. action well, movie. That also, I can't, I can't disagree with that. But I think the the thing that I saw was that Avatar, what it it grossed, it was the highest grossing movie of all time when it came out, and then they did like some sort of survey, and it had the least amount of cultural impact of a, a, almost any movie. 
cultural it, impact. I don't know how they measured it, but nobody gave a shit about that movie. Everybody saw it and then immediately forgot about it. Like, what's the main character in the Avatar? Sam. One of the. You just made that up. Is that no, his name? No, his name is Sam. He's a uh, a twin of a marine that was supposed to go on this mission, but the brother died, so he got picked to go anyway. His legs are uh, do not work, and so they have to take some special things there. But yeah, his name is Sam. Our audience doesn't want to hear you fawn over some terrible movie. I'm not fawning over a terrible movie. You're I'm saying you're calling this movie terrible, and it was not terrible. Maybe you I'm don't hear yourself. I'm not saying it's the worst movie of all time. <laughs> or I'm not saying it's the best movie of all time. But it was certainly not a terrible movie. Okay. It was a all right, pretty fine. good movie. I do have some good memories. Enjoyable. It was the first 3D movie I saw in theaters. Oh, fuck that. You don't like 3D? <laughs> no. It, it was very immersive. I did enjoy my time. But like everyone else, I immediately forgot it. Well, not everyone else. Okay, fine. Just people with no attention span. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't have any of that. Do but anyways, you, back me, to the let story. Me let me ask you something. Do you what enjoy, uh, or did you at any point enjoy uh, the D&D campaign? The D&D campaign. Any, either of them. Nevin's or mine. D yeah, of course. Okay. Can you tell me? Oh, uh, God. You know. And it literally... <laughs> <laughs> I could pick out things and be like, oh, you, oh, you couldn't remember that? Uh, well, I guess you, guess you immediately forgot it. Guess you don't care. You don't, you don't want to test me because you know I know more about your campaign than any of your other players. Mm, that's not true. You don't think so? Than any player? You really? think Caleb knows? It's either me okay. or Caleb, well, right? Caleb, Caleb would might not know it off the top of his head, but he has notes for it. Yeah, fair enough. I don't take a lot of notes, but look, the the point was. You can like something and it not be absolutely terrible, but also this is staying it in. periodically. Our specific D and D campaign Johnny information songs. is gonna end. <laughs> I listen to love, listen to it for like a while, and then you know you forget about it, but then you rediscover it like a, a year or two later, and you're like, oh, this song was awesome. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Anyway, we're way off topic. <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely not my fault. Um. <laughs> so, anyways, Quill starts telling his stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, he said it's gonna take three days, and uh, yeah, and actually, before film? they they take a break for that night, Bast's plan comes to fruition. Quill is gonna tell his story, and they need he needs the night to prepare for the whole story, and he's gonna need three days. So, yeah, the next day. Oh, they recover. Is, it, is they it that night though that uh, Bast and Chronicler meet, or is it is it during the story? I can't remember. Bast and Chron. I mean, according to my notes, the next thing after they agree, and Quoth yeah. uh, seems taller and more colorful, and there's iron in his voice, is the next day and the start of it. I don't. I'm not sure what you're referencing, but I think yeah. Oh, like when later. when? Okay, it's later. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, so yeah, it's later. Before Quoth uh, actually starts telling his story we are treated to one of the things that make Quoth Quoth, which is his curiosity and his intellect. So Chronicler is very successful at his job. He can keep up with people telling their story very quickly because he has essentially come up with his own written language that is kind of like in a courtroom. You know the stenographer? Have you ever seen their keyboard? I haven't. It's the, it's the same idea. So the 
there are phonetic sounds on that keyboard that the uh, uh, that they keep up. But yeah, so that's what Chronicler's doing. He has a like a dash and dot system sort of thing to uh, equate to specific sounds, so he can keep up by instead of writing out the entire word with spelling, he just make writes down the sounds um, and uh, Chron- or, uh, excuse me, uh, Kvoth figures it out immediately. Yeah, so like, basically the the setup is that Quoth is very um, concerned that his story, he'll tell it, but then Chronicler will change things or not remember it perfectly because at first he's like, oh, I have a near-perfect memory. And he's like, yeah, near-perfect won't do, right? So clearly this story he's going to tell, he wants it to be exactly as he tells it. His story, not yes. Chronicler's story that he heard and is retelling, but yeah. literally quotes story yeah and we so we, he has to learn this guy's cipher and he does it in all of two minutes yeah and then the chronicler says wow so the the story about you learning that language in an afternoon was true and i think he says yeah it took me the better part of a day but yeah and no i didn't learn all of it <laughs> but but then that's when the story begins yeah uh and actually at the beginning he sort of is searching for the beginning. It's like, oh, in some ways it starts here, in other ways it starts there. So there's actually multiple beginnings, uh, which I think whenever we get to some of them, maybe I'll circle back. But well, actually, he begins at the beginning. <laughs> Weirdly enough. Yeah, begins at his beginning. Yes. That's where we'll end. I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll we'll stop at the beginning. God, it's hilarious. That's the second recording, and we got exactly to the same place in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. But it was still only technically 50 pages of a book. Yeah. Well, it took us an hour to talk about 50 pages. I guess it depends on the printing, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could check my 10-year uh, anniversary and see if it's also 50 pages. <laughs> what do you we have, the covered... Ma- do you have mass market paperback, or do you have a big floppy, or what do you got? Uh, it's paperback, but I don't know how to identify is it like, which time. Is it like uh, 8 inches by like 6 inches, or like 10 inches by, by 6 inches? Or is it like 12 or 11 um, inches by it's 8? Like, it's like hmm, maybe like one of my penises by like two, <laughs> two-thirds of my penis. Uh, okay, so you have the, uh, the, the pocket edition. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyways, yes, this uh, I guess might be the first episode of uh, Benter Book Club. Yeah. So I guess uh, here's another question: If you hold it by the spine and just hold like it out, does it like (laughs) does it sort of like like open up, or is it pretty pretty sturdy? It's sturdy. Then uh, you probably have mass market paperback. Yeah, it's sturdy. What's the price on the back of it? Does it say... Usually by the... by the nine ninety nine US. Yeah, that's uh, mass market paperback. Yeah. Which is... Well, I also have now that the audience knows knows the book type that I have, I think that's a great place <laughs> to say goodnight. Hey, I only am here for the crucial information. I really didn't think that I would be explaining to the audience the details of my uh, private parts uh, <laughs> to... Such an extent. In the first, in the first episode. episode. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think we agreed before the show we're going deep. Yeah, so. hey, yeah, there you go. Your You're penis welcome. can do that. 
<laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Yes, bye.